Welcome, my name is Pastor Matt, and uh, if you're new, uh, welcome, love to get to know you after the service, um, but it's also a good day to be here. We're going to start a new sermon series through one of, uh, one of the New Testament letters uh, found at the, at the end of the Bible. If you need a Bible, there's usually one in a seat rack in front of you. Uh, if you're new to finding things in the Bible, the table of contents is a wonderful gift at the beginning of the Bible, uh, and you find what page number you need to find uh, the letter. Uh, when there's 66 books of the Bible, it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, most people still use the table of contents. That's okay. Uh, but we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1, uh, 2, 3, and 4 today. Uh, but I want to begin uh, with a quote. And so the quote will be above me. Here's the quote. It says, We desire truth and find ourselves nothing but uncertainty. We seek happiness and find only wretchedness and death. We are incapable of not desiring truth and happiness and incapable of either certainty or happiness. So writes the 17th century mathematician Blaise Pascal. So he's, this is a bright, he's a philosopher, he's a, he's a scientist, he's the father of probability theory, theory for all of the math nerds out there. By the way, when I grew up, we didn't have mathletes. I don't know what that is. I think those are the people who got beat up in the 80s, but you quit doing that. We don't do that anymore. But this mathematician um, also was a practicing Christian, and one of the terms that he would use to describe humanity is he would call them glorious ruins. Glorious ruins. And he would say, like a medieval castle, humans have signs of beauty, and yet signs of decay at the same time. This is the human condition. So we have these great longings. We have these longings for truth. We have these longings for happiness. But we have great failings. We don't have truth nor happiness. We look to have, but we turn out not to have. Now, 17th century mathematicians are not uh, your forte. I, find, I found an interesting dialogue between Homer and Bart Simpson that I think gets close to this idea, too. Father, Homer, says to Bart, Ah, uh, our kids used to be so cute. Bart questions, used to? And Homer replies, oh, deal with it. And the idea is when you have young children, they seem so promising. This is going to be great. And then it turns out you're raising little selfish sinners who just grow up into big, selfish sinners. Um, but what if there's something more than just dealing with it, right? What if, what if all these, the, of a person's promise and all these longings could actually be fulfilled? What if a hunger for truth and happiness can actually be satisfied? And this is what happened to the early followers of Jesus of Nazareth in the first century, they encountered someone who was touching those deepest longings while at the same time meeting them, right? So one of the earliest followers of Jesus of Nazareth was a man named John, known as the son of Zebedee. And John, son of Zebedee, was one of the earliest followers from the beginning, walked with Jesus for three, three and a half years of his public ministry. Uh, he was one of the 12 apostles or 12 disciples, and not just that, he was actually part of an inner group of these disciples that included both the apostle Peter and uh, one named James. 
He is recorded as the lone disciple present at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And if you didn't know this, he wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else, even more than the Apostle Paul. Church tradition tells us he has written the Gospel of John, the first, second, and third letter of John, and the book of Revelation. So over the next few months, we're going to look at one of his letters, what's called the first letter, or if you're a British person, they always say one John. I don't know why, but Americans call it first John, but the Brits and the Australians say one John, the same book. So don't worry. Now what's going on, and as we read through the letter, you'll, you'll begin to see this, but uh, John is writing this letter to early Christians, probably toward the end of the first century, uh, 80s AD, 90, maybe in the early 90s, uh, and what, it, what appears is there is this outside pressure coming on early Christians to abandon Christianity. But what's interesting about this pressure is those who are putting pressure on these Christians were once formally professing to be Christians. They had been a part of the Christian community, and now they were no more, and they are trying to pull others away, to, to believe differently about what they had been taught about Jesus, to practice differently than what they had been taught about Jesus. And so, all sorts of things are getting undermined, and this wise, aged, long-time follower of Jesus says, let me remind you of the original teachings of who Jesus is. Let me remind you of the teachings about what it means to follow him. And, and, and really, at a lot of levels, it's John's letter to hold fast to Jesus. Here's the Jesus that you've begun to know, and if you want to know him more, keep pressing on. When, we, when we, we come to this beginning couple of verses, John's going to get home a couple of ideas. Uh, one is that Jesus is life incarnate, or the word of life incarnate, and that you can know this Jesus, this word of life, through the word written. So let me just go back to the first two verses. Uh, this is John. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, we've looked at, our hands have actually touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you. So listener, this is being proclaimed to you, the eternal life which was with the Father and now has appeared to us. So John is describing this full body encounter. Now, we know from a few verses later he's talking about Jesus, but those first couple of verses, he leaves the name not there. It's supposed to create some curiosity. Who is this? Being described as life itself or eternal life. Now, it's interesting that he starts this letter uh, like two other places in the Bible. Uh, one is the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, as well as the, the gospel, the, the biographical account that John gave about Jesus prior. And it's this term, in the beginning. So some of you guys know Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So at the beginning of time, there was God, and he brings forth creation, he brings forth life. Uh, but then if you turn back to John uh, chapter 1, the gospel of John chapter 1, or I think it'll be, the verses will be above me here on the wall, uh, this is how John began his gospel. Uh, this, is, this is his introduction. Well, this is what I'm going to write about to you. And then he does so for 21 chapters. But 
John 1, uh, 1, and a few verses in, says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made, and in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. So, John is locating this particular person of interest who has gone both unnamed in the first three, four verses of the Gospel of John and then the first couple of verses of First John. He's leaving, who is this? But what he's describing is, is this is a being connected to life itself. This is a being going back to the beginning of time. This is the beginning that all life flows from. This is who I am talking about, right? And the only type of people who fit, fit the description, right, who measures up to these demands are God himself, right? That's why the word was God, the holy God, God who takes great precedence. And again, when you go back to 1 John in the letter, he's saying this life, this being, this being from beginning, we saw him, we touched him. He spoke, right? And the sound came to our eardrums and we heard words that when we heard it, it was like we were hearing words of life. When I mean, you think about Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? And the earth was formless, void. Water covered the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Right? John is saying, we heard someone speak like that. That when he spoke, light came into the universe, and they're saying, like, I heard, I heard this guy on the dusty roads of Palestine, and when he talked, it was like the words that created the universe. That's who we ran into. You think about this. Um, if, if maybe you guys are into DC Comics. But there's a, the, the 2004 origin story of Superman, right? You have Lois Lane, this reporter for the Daily Planet. And she's trying to coin a term to describe this person that's now in Metropolis. The guy can fly. Turns out bullets don't pierce him. He moves faster than the speed of sound. He can lift buildings with his bare hands. And what does she coin? What are we going to call this guy? Batman? The Flash? Those are DC characters, right? Spider-Man? God forbid. Wrong. Wrong. That's Mark. Right? No, he's Superman. That's the only thing. That, that's what we got to call this guy. If he can do those things, he's Superman, right? And this is what John is trying to explain He's like, yeah, so we met this guy, and at first we thought he was a big deal, and there was this guy named John the Baptist who said, hey, he's the promised one. And, but over time, they, they just start like, whoa, this is life itself. This is eternal life in the flesh walking around. This is the Word of God made flesh. This is who we, this is who we talked to. This is who we saw. This is, whoa. Right, what is life, right? Life is vibrant energy. It's eternal being. John says this showed up in a person. Now, up till then, if you were a Jewish person, really similar to like modern Muslims today, but if you were a Jewish person then, your understanding of God was this single being, this invisible being, this spirit being 
And as a spirit being, you did not make images of this God because any image would be a paltry, poor, dishonoring representation of this God. He was perfect power. He was full of love. He was transcendent. He was wise. But these very fiercely monotheistic, one-God-worshipping Jews, after spending time with Jesus for the time that they did and seeing him die and rise again, said, hold the phone. Life itself was in the flesh, and we're proclaiming this to you. (laughs) He wants you to know this. Now remember what Blaise Pascal said. He said, We are incapable of not desiring truth and happiness, and yet incapable of either certainty or happiness. Now, interestingly, Pascal the Christian is going to go on and say, well, actually, there is a way to experience happiness and truth. And he says it's Jesus. In Jesus, it's now possible to have truth and joy. That's what John is doing. Let me introduce you to someone so that you can have joy. We're going to read the rest of the gospel, excuse me, the rest of the letter of 1 John, and it's all about God is light, and this is truth, and you can know things about God. So you can have truth, and you can happiness, have happiness, and it's Jesus. Jesus is life, he's truth, he's joy, he's God in the flesh, he's the word of life in person. John says, we touched him, we saw him, We heard him, and now we're proclaiming him to you. Here's the news. John is saying Jesus is the word of life incarnate. But even the means by which he is doing this, and what it even says in verses 3 and 4 is, and now you can know the same word of life that we knew through what is being written here. Look at verses 3 and 4. Right? He says... This is, this is the, the being that we experienced. And then he says, now we're proclaiming to you. So this is a proclamation. These are, this is a, a statement made to you that we have seen and heard so that you, listener, you can have fellowship with us. You can be in partnership with us. And our fellowship, it's not just with other Christians, it's with the Father, right? God the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we write this. This has been written down. This has been preserved so that joy might be complete. And there's actually some different uh, manuscripts. Sometimes it's so our joy can be complete. Sometimes it's so your joy can be complete. Regardless, it's for a lot of joy. So John is transitioning in verse 3, and he's saying, the life that we met in Jesus, we're now proclaiming to you. So like witnesses before the court, we want to lay out evidence in words so that you can come to know the God that we know, so that you can follow the God that we know. Now, I recently read a book uh, from a guy who would probably describe himself as a progressive Christian. His name is Jonathan Merritt. And the title of the book was called Learning to Speak God from Scratch. Learning to Speak God from Scratch. Now, there are a few aspects of the book that are helpful, um, but I think its ultimate message is not helpful. And so what, because what Jonathan Merritt is going to go on to do, he's going to say, rather than receive 
the truths about Jesus Christ and the faith once for all given to the apostles, rather than learn the doctrines that have been given to you, uh, rather than put effort into understanding the ancient faith that has been passed down from one generation of Christians to the next. He says, instead of doing that, we need to find new definitions for a new age. And so that's why he titled the book, Learning to Speak God from Scratch. We're going to figure out a new way to figure out God. We need new ideas because, you know, faith can grow stagnant. And I just think the Apostle John just vehemently disagrees. He's saying, we're the ones that saw, heard Jesus. And we want to introduce you to this Jesus. Not a new Jesus for the 21st century, right? The Jesus from the first century. So that you can have a real relationship with the same Jesus of the first century. Hebrews 13, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you're looking for a new way to worship Jesus, you're going to be doing it in a wrong way. So John's saying, we're writing this so that you might know the true Jesus. In fact, notice how he puts it there in verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Right? The we is the aspect of, this isn't John's like personal interpretation of God. The we is we, the apostolic community, we, the foundations of the faith, we who knew Jesus together. We're inviting you to know this Jesus, the one true Jesus. This isn't just some random personal encounter with a guy on some hallucinogen drug. Dude, man, I touched something out there. You want this, man. Like, this isn't what John is saying. Christianity is not like some modern religions that involve individuals having their own mystical experiences with their own gods in their own ways. Jesus didn't want that. So that's why it's throughout the, you read through the, the biographical accounts of Jesus, the Gospels, Jesus comes to a community of people and he creates a special kind of community. Certainly, definitely, yes, individuals can have a relationship, a personal relationship with God, but it's never private, nor is it individualistic, nor is it up for our own uh, kind of, we can't just play around and have our, our own little thing over here. No, we, we join the church we don't create our own version of Christianity. The Christian faith is passed down from the early apostles from one generation to the next. It's a received faith. It's not supposed to be a reinvented faith. Why? Right? It's because joy is on the line. Joy, truth, it's on the line. Why joy? Why joy? He says that in verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. Well, I think there's at least two aspects of joy, right? Joy for the person who's being saved by God and being brought into God's family, but joy for the other Christians because they get to see someone be brought from death to life, from condemnation to acceptance with God, someone who, did, someone who didn't know life incarnate, now knows this God, and it just erupts in joy. John knows that seeing others encounter Jesus erupts with joy. He knows that. Uh, I've never been present to see a, a, a volcanic eruption. That's probably a good thing. 
but I've seen the videos. Right? And so when, when lava erupts, I mean, it's this massive steam cloud, right? And when it comes down, it just burns everything to smithereens. There's this idea that when someone has a true encounter with knowing Jesus, joy erupts. It erupts for the person who trusts this life that has appeared. But it erupts when other people get to see life. I love seeing an, a person who had been far from God come back to God or someone who's never had a relationship with God come to Christ for forgiveness of sins and experience new life in Jesus. It is so exciting. Right, some of you guys have been at you know, baptism services. You know, what do we do when they come out of the water? You hoot and you holler. Because we're celebrating new life. We're celebrating cleansing. We're celebrating a new start through what Jesus has done. Joy is on the line. And John wants you to know about it. <laughs> um, let's talk about this word fellowship. I think it's an interesting one. He says, we proclaim to you, verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And then he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So again, let's start. What, who is the we? The we are that, the, that early Christian church founded on the early experiences and teaching of the apostles given by the Lord Jesus himself. We, right? And he, they, they says, we want you to have fellowship with us. Right? We want you to be in communion with us. We want you to believe the things we believe, worship the God that we worship. We want this to happen to you. Now, we use the word fellowship a lot. You know, it gets thrown around in the church world. It's not a word that I don't, I don't think non-Christian people use this term a lot. At least I didn't. I didn't have Christian buddies to be like, hey, dude, Matt, you want to do some Halo? We'll fellowship around some Mountain Dew. I just wasn't. I didn't grow up with that. I had to been in the church for a long enough, and then I found out, like, Christians fellowship around everything. Like, eating a donut is fellowship. Drinking coffee is fellowship. We have rooms that just look like places like cafeterias, and we call them fellowship halls. So it's this word that, like, yeah. So let's, what does the word mean? Um... Well, one, this the original Greek word it has all sorts of depths of meaning. And interesting, in classical Greek, they would use that term for a marriage. These two people are now in fellowship, adjoining. Jews, in the secular language, they would be a business partnership. I'm in fellowship with that guy. We're selling leather sandals. They're really hip and cool. Don't wear socks with those. Um... In the early church, the term koinonia, or fellowship, was more familial. It was a family. It was actually, Christianity is one of the first places where you started calling someone outside your family a brother or a sister. That was a new thing. It hit the world that I would look out into someone and say, that is my brother. They're like, huh? You know, you related? I didn't know. And you're like, yeah, but through the blood of Jesus. And so when John is saying, I want you to have fellowship with us, he's talking about this familial connection. This, I, I love you and you love me. We're in this together. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to support one another. You go through economic hardship, I'm with you. You go through a physical illness, I'm beside you. But they say it's not just fellowship with a church, which I hope that you guys experience that when you're part of a church. But he says, but our intimacy, our business relationship, our marriage, our communion is with God himself. 
God the Father, God the Son, through God the Holy Spirit. This is the kind of relationship we get to share when you know Jesus together. And there's joy. I think, too, also joy, it's when you have one of those U2 moments. Not the band U2, a U2, Y-O-U-T-O-O, a U2 moment. Do you know what a U2 moment is? Like, it's when two teenagers, like, find out that they both like Star Trek. Ah, U2. Right. You know, it was a few weeks ago, uh, Jeff Olson, guy singing to this morning, right? He texted me how much he loved the fourth book in the Wingfeather Saga by Andrew Peterson, and I'm like, ah, you do. When I run into those few brave men who say, oh, you like Jane Austen too? I'm like, oh yeah. That girl can write, right? You two moments involve two people reveling in a shared passion. Like there's this nod of recognition. There's a flash of a smile. Isn't this awesome that we both know this? Isn't it awesome that such breathtaking things can happen in this life? And John's mission at the beginning of this letter is he says, I want you two moments. For my joy complete, I want you two to know this Jesus that I know, that I touched, that I saw, that I heard. I want you to know the Jesus that I know. I want you to know eternal life. I want you to taste joy that is out of this world. I want that longing for happiness and truth to happen in a real encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. So I feel this way at a smaller level with my wife, Carrie. Here's a picture of her. So if you haven't gotten to know my wife, I just want you to know you're missing out. She's smart. She's kind. She's a good listener. And if you get close enough to her, she also has this under-the-radar sense of humor. And those who know her share my joy. You, too, get to kind of revel in the glory of that which is Carrie. And you also wonder, how did she ever marry you? I get that. (laughs) I respect that. It's all right. I'm just like, dude, I'm sneaky. Right, but you can move that so she doesn't get mad at me. Next slide, thanks. Um, right, even more so though. Like I want you to know Jesus. You know, I've been walking with Jesus for I don't know, I'm losing track now, twenty five years plus. Right, and I'm just beginning to get to know Him. And I think there's others in this room. They've been walking with Jesus for thirty five, forty, fifty years. They're just getting to know Him. But what they know about Him. He's changed their life. He's given them hope. He's given them direction. He's given them truth. He's given them a sense of morality in a world that's awash in immorality. They've given him people a narrow path that leads to life in a world of wide roads that lead to destruction. And they're like, we want you to know this Jesus so that you might share in the joy. A natural question might be, well, how does this happen, Matt? At least I hope maybe you're asking that. How do I enter into a relationship with Jesus? Or if you've been a Christian a long time, and it's been a long time since you've tasted that that sense of happiness and truth, you might say, no joy has erupted out of me for a very long time. Let me just remind you of some of the things that we're seeing here and also see elsewhere in Scripture. One, Jesus is a personal being. Therefore, the best way to connect with Jesus is through talking to him and listening to him. 
I, I doubt you have maintained any relationship with a person that, without listening and talking. And so when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus, it comes through talking to him in prayer. And then it comes to listening to him, primarily through his word. Yes, God will sometimes speak through the Holy Spirit directly or through, through circumstances, but even then you're going to need to know God's word to discern if that was really God speaking or something else, someone else, or just your own wants. A lot of people justify things by saying, well, God told me. It's like, I doubt he said that because he doesn't say anything like that in the Bible. <laughs> so you listen through his word, you talk to him in prayer. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people uh, but I, I love asking, how did you start a relationship with God? Like, what was like kind of the turning point for you? And I hear this a lot. I hear people say something like, God, I think you're probably out there, and I'd like to know you better. And God has answered that prayer in so many people's lives. Otherwise, I hear it this way, like, I grew up reading the Bible or even Sunday school teachers teaching me about Jesus. By the way, thanks for doing that, Sunday school teachers. Or my parents teaching me things about Jesus. Thank you, parents, for doing that. But they come to a point where they'll say something, Jesus, I've read about you in the Bible, and the more that I hear about you, I'm beginning to believe that you are the Christ and you are the Son of God. And they just say, I want to start a relationship with you. I don't think there's a magic formula. In fact, I think, let me, not I think. There is no magic formula. There's no special mantra. It's a, it's, a, it's a decision of the human will to say, I'm going to surrender and follow Jesus because he, I believe he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, that by believing in him I want life and forgiveness and a new start with God. And God loves to answer that prayer. And those of you who have prayed that prayer, but you're still saying, I haven't felt the truth, Matt. I haven't felt the happiness. I, again, Jesus is a personal being, and I don't know any type of personal relationship that isn't strengthened through just responding to the other person. That's how relationships go. If you want to just doubt this, Go out today, just somewhere, and keep walking until someone speaks to you and don't say anything and see if they become your best friend. Right? Relationships are formed by responding. You know, so when I met this cute girl that happened to be in a class, I said, hey, would you like to study? And she responded. And then there was, after enough responses, we had four children. Right? That's how... But I was saying, every personal relationship is grown through responding and the primary way to respond to Jesus, or the primary way to respond to God is through obedience. That's how you respond to God. He speaks, and when he speaks, he's speaking holy words, and therefore they usually pierce our hearts and kind of expose our unholy selfishness, our, our own desire to go our own way. And we say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you and obey you. There's an old hymn, that says, trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. There's a lot of truth in that. Jesus says in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him, and I will reveal, I will show myself to them. Now, this is God's promise. You want to know God? You want God to be revealed in your life? When he speaks to you and he convicts you, you say, I will submit and I will walk 
and I will obey. Come back when we walk through 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 3, and that's what John's going to say. Respond to this God who speaks, and you will grow in relationship with him. Jesus is the word of life incarnate, and you can know this Jesus through the word written. This is the promise to us. This is the God who wants to make himself known to us. So, a couple of final thoughts. When you do respond, whether it's the first time in submitting and surrendering your life to Jesus, or it's the thousandth time you hear God speak and you respond through obedience and submission, there's joy. There's joy. The more you know Jesus, the more joy will settle in your soul. This is true at a corporate level. The more others know Jesus, the more joy will settle in our souls. Some of you guys have got to see that as parents, right? Reading the Bible with your children, and they come to say, say I see this Jesus, I want to follow him. Some of you have had the great privilege of helping someone come back who's wandered away. Um, I'm going to turn left in my Bible to the last two verses in the book of James. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20 say, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Joy when someone comes back. Joy when someone comes to Christ for the first time. So just by simple way of application, I just encourage you, pick up your Bible this week and slowly read through this letter of 1 John. If you read quickly, you can read this whole letter in like seven minutes. I timed it. I encourage you to read it slower to like 15 minutes. Just read it. John wrote this testimony so that you could know God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. So read to know God. But as you read, read to respond to God. Read to know him through responding to him speaking. Read for truth and read for joy. Let me pray. Father, thank you for uh, preserving this letter. Thank you for uh, having the Apostle John write this letter, uh, not just for the first century church, but for the 21st century church. Thank you that this truth has been preserved and handed down from one generation to the next. Um, and we just pray, God, that we would have responsive hearts. Um, pray for those who are, have wandered from the truth and they're wondering if they should come back home and just pray that they would know that uh, God is gracious and kind and there's so much hope in walking with God and so much despair and hopelessness when we go a different way. I pray for someone who uh, just knows that they're not obeying God, that they're thinking they have better ideas than God's word on what is life. And just pray that they would repent and submit again to the God who is life. And then in those who are still searching, still are, know they, they're longing for truth and longing for happiness, but keep coming up short, I pray that in your mercy they would see that uh, that truth and joy are found in the person of Jesus Christ. And we've wandered in so many places and so many wrong ways, and we've sinned and run away from God. Uh, but Jesus came to die for those sins and, that, and to woo us back. And so we just pray that we would come 
uh, to turn and to follow Jesus, the word of life incarnate. And thank you for the word of God that we have in Scripture. Uh, Bless us now as we take the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.